it's the next level. Oh, sorry, there's a deranged cuckoo in there. Your ratchet wheel's shot and the click spring's not far behind. Hello, you're Lewis, I presume. How was your trip? This old hag is my next door neighbor, Mrs. Florence Zimmerman. I'm relieved to see you didn't inherit your uncle's freakishly oversized head. Huh, says the woman who literally looks like a Q-tip. Oh, look, the giant head is angry. My God, did that withered purple skeleton just speak? She thinks she's smarter than me because she's got more college degrees. No, I think I'm smarter than you because I'm smarter than you. Welcome to the next chapter of Still Afraid of the Dark. I am one of your hosts, Rob, from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods and DC Primetime, and as always, joining me on this adventure... Ben Beck. That's me. It is you. <laughs> and you're also on a thousand and one podcast, too, all on, obviously, because it's your network for, for let's be honest. So. Well, yeah, I mean, you <laughs> so, know, Next Level Podcast Network is, yeah. you know, we got, what, DC Primetime, I, I'm with you on Caffeine Crew every right. once in a while, I do Spotlight, which is the celebrity interview podcast, so yeah, there's an... My voice is heard quite a bit on the network. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, this is my third podcast now on the network, and it's it's kind of crazy. It's going to be nice when it's back down to two. But, I know. But then but, you and I are going to have to be like, okay, so what else what are we going to do next? <laughs> so we got to figure that one we out. we got to do something. Maybe a gaming podcast is necessary. So we'll That see. could work. So, all right. But before we introduce our uh, our next tale, we have two people returning for another episode. So, welcome back, Damon and Liz. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> all right. Steal my opening. Oh, I'm so sorry. My love, I apologize. <laughs> well, like I said previously, you guys both appeared on the uh, Tale of Sleepy Hollow. And uh, now we're doing a new one. So, we call this one The Tale of Jack. And the reason we're calling it that is because we're talking about two Jack Black family-friendly Halloween films. And what are those films? Uh, Goosebumps from 2015. And the other? The House with the Clock in its Walls from 2018. Um, so, for today, we have our new drink, which is called the Miss, uh, Mrs. Zimmerman. Uh, it is a very different type of cocktail. So, again, on this one, no ginger beer. Just, uh, <laughs> but Red, I, Red Bull instead. Okay. Yes. <laughs> so, in this one, we actually have to make this one. Uh, you'll be able to see the video in just a couple days. But uh, if you want to know real quick what we're drinking as we're having this discussion. So, this is going to be per cup. It's about one shot of a lemon vodka of your choice. A one shot of just light rum. In addition to that, uh, I found that just a little bit of a splash of a simple syrup. You can even make your own simple syrup, usually just a quick mixture of water and sugar that you just boil down to. Uh, or you can also buy it. But also, in addition to that, just cranberry juice. Not cocktail, but pure cranberry juice. And then in addition to it, blueberry Red Bull. And you should get a nice, beautiful purple tone to it. Uh, it's nice and sweet. And as you guys put it, it kind of tastes like Capri Sun. So. I was going to say, I... Alcoholic Capri Sun. Indeed. Is, uh, Carbonated alcoholic Capri Sun. It, yes. But it's a nice, it's a really perfect purple hue that matches well with the tones of the films that we're going to be discussing today. But a big difference from some of the other drinks we have made so far. So, um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to enjoying this cocktail as we go through and talk about these movies. So, Ben, which one do you want to start with? Uh, I figure, you know what, why don't we just go in order of release and we can talk about Goosebumps first since it was the first of the two movies. Yeah. Well, before we kick in, I mean, I think it's kind of interesting because I think 
for a lot of people, Jack Black kind of got his big start for a lot of us in geek culture because of things like Tenacious D. And then things happened where we realized how amazing he is in family-friendly movies, starting with The School of Rock. Mm -hmm. And it kind of changed the trajectory of his career a little bit. Well, I kind of put it very similar to Eddie Murphy. And in that way, you know, he was somebody who did movies like Beverly Hills Cop, he did Eddie Murphy Raw, Delirious, you know, stand-up specials like that. And while Jack was never a stand-up comedian, he was an amazing, and still is, an amazing musician with Tenacious D, uh, you know, which is definitely not family-friendly music. No. But, you know, when you look at Eddie Murphy's career trajectory, he did all these movies, and things changed when he had a family, when he had a family of his own. He went off and he started doing The Nutty Professor, A Thousand Words, Haunted Mansion, things like that. He went and he shifted into all these family-friendly films. And Jack's kind of taken the same route. I, I don't know if it's necessarily for the same reasons or if it's just the roles he was offered. But, you know, we saw him, like you said, School of Rock, uh, House with a Clock in Its Walls and Goosebumps, which we're going to be talking about, Jumanji, Jumanji, Welcome to the, or Jumanji, Welcome to the Jungle, uh, Jumanji, what's the name of the sequel is... Um, Something. Something, Next yeah, level, I, I, I can't remember. Yeah. 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 Something, something. The next level, yeah. that's next actually level. what it is. That's yeah, right. yeah. 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 it sounds, yeah. 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 So he's, he's taken this turn from Tenacious D and Orange County to movies that are more family-friendly that bring in bigger audiences in the theaters. Well, I want to make sure we get something out of the way. So this actually isn't the tale of Jack. This is just a tribute. So, Oh, God, I see what you did there. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I love that song, by the way. That's actually like a karaoke go-to for me when I actually sing karaoke. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. All right. So, so why don't you take us into Goosebumps? So, yeah. So Goosebumps, as we mentioned, 2015... Uh, you know, it's safe to say it's it's a it's a film series that's based off a book series by R.L. Stein. There are I I can't remember. I looked into it a little bit last night. How many books there are? I want to say where it's in the upwards of sixty. Yeah, that's the number. I, I think like sixty two, sixty three. There is right. a lot. Yeah. And, and that's just the first run of it. Eventually, well, it was like Tales to Give You Goosebumps was like mm -hmm. another offset of the Fear series. St Fear Street was another big one, which yeah. I know has been indeed optioned by Sony Pictures as another series. I think they're doing Fear Street as a trilogy. Oh, so, really? Yeah, that. so that's, that's going to be one of the next things that they're going to be planning on okay. doing. So. But I mean, you know, our first chapter of the podcast, our pilot of the podcast was Off Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. And this is very similar to that in that this is basically a collection of R.L. Stein Goosebumps stories all combined into one amalgamation of a story. They found a way to combine all of these stories uh, and use Jack as R.L. Stein as a centralized character. Which was brilliant. It's, I loved the idea. It's so yeah, much it's fun. very well applied. It, it's very, very goofy of a concept, but one of the, my favorite things, though, too, and I want to bring up, just in case I forget, is R.L. Stein's actual cameo. He is right. a cameo yes. in the movie, yes. Exactly. And I love that he's... He's another Mr. teacher Black. the school. Mr. Black. Mr. Black. Mr. Yep. Black. Uh, which is fantastic. Who's I just, he? Oh, that's the drama teacher. And, and I love that R.L. <laughs> Stein goes by Black, who's a drama teacher, but while Jack Black goes by Stein, who's a literary teacher, yeah. which is great. Which is kind of fantastic. Yep. So. And it's so quick, but it's it's just when you know, if you know who R.L. Stein is and you recognize him, it's, it's such a wonderful you know cameo. It reminds me of a, this beautiful cameo in the original Scream from Wes Craven, which is you have Henry Winkler as the principal and he looks outside and he's like, he hears a noise like, oh, it's just you, Fred. And it's it's Wes Craven dressed up as Freddy Krueger. <laughs> oh, that's with fantastic. With the striped right? sweater with the hat mopping up the hallway. And I'm like, that's right. amazing. I'd yeah. forgotten that. 
So, but yeah, no, I, I think for this one, what's what's kind of interesting is, like I said, you know, we we've been kind of discussing a wide gamut of family friendly stuff, stuff that skates the line a little bit. This, the two that we're talking here are going to be very, very, as you mentioned, very family friendly. But I think mm-hmm. with Goosebumps, what was really interesting is they managed to take as much iconic imagery, even if they didn't go into some of the classic stories. You saw a lot of them, though, even like in quick shots in the film. And one of my other favorite parts, though, of this film is also actually, oddly enough, the end credits, because they're actually live versions, essentially, that they made or animated versions of some of the covers from the original books, mm-hmm. which was really, really kind of a nice little awesome touch. But they, it was something that they did that was kind of unique. Now, how do you want to kind of start the conversation on this? Because it, it's a little it, it's a little bit different than some of the other stuff where we've talked about, like, different types of legends, the way that the book series has kind of begun. But here we're kind of looking at a twisted variation of these stories coming to life in an odd way, unlike scary stories to tell in the Well, dark. I think I want to actually turn it over to Damon and Liz okay. because I, I know in we we rewatched this movie before recording this podcast. Right. I say rewatch and because this was your guys' first watch. We had seen this it before, was our first but watch. this was your yeah. first watch of the film. So I kind of want to turn it over to you guys to see what your initial thoughts were as what did you expect when you knew you had to go into because you you did have to watch this movie to prepare for this recording. Correct. What were you anticipating seeing compared to what you actually saw after you finished watching the movie? That's a good question. Yeah. Well, I grew up reading Goosebumps. Um, That was like I love reading scary stories. The scary stories tell in the dark were the ones I, I started out on. And then Goosebumps, I kind of jumped into and I kind of expected to see references or things to all of the books, which I think might have been a bit impossible mm-hmm. considering there's so many. And I realized that the ones that I remembered the most of were like nowhere to be found, <laughs> like say cheese and die. Yeah, yeah. And the the one where like the dad turns into a plant being and like a whole bunch of other ones that like I kept thinking of. So it was kind of an interesting return to childhood and seeing some of the stories I did remember. And then kind of a furious Googling of, I don't remember of this at all. Like the giant praying mantis, I could I, not I remember. I love the fact that they even make a joke about that and be like, when did I write this? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> when did I write oh, this? Yeah. Oh, oh, that's now right. I remember. Oh, right. And yeah. I can see that doing, when you do a volume of writing and, and things like that, you write so many things, so many different plots, so many different directions and storylines. And like, when was it? Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. The way that they treated that, it makes me wonder if that was maybe one of his most despised Goosebumps stories would be the, the way been. that yeah. they treat it. Because, or forgotten. Like, or, or, yeah, forgotten. or just yeah. really forgotten. This has kind of slipped under the radar. I'm kind of curious to look that up now when we finish this up. Perhaps like a mediocre one that kind of just kind of just kind of slid past and everyone's yeah. like, that's okay. That's all right. Yeah. So how about you, Damon? Well, it was it's fascinating because I, I missed the Goosebumps train, unfortunately. I'm with you. I, was, I never I read never, any of I the books. It, which is, I enjoyed it as Liz and I watched this so I can enjoy the contrast of like her going, well, oh, that one, that one, and that one, like going through all the elaborations. This was all brand new to me. Um, I enjoyed the um, the subtlety of how it was all approached, that the the uh, the plot mechanism was was inductive versus deductive, that they... That they um, did a did it was like how does they they're trying to like you know get to the source problem or how it all happened, and it's not even until later on in the book and Arl Stein's completely like this is a thing that happens when I write it's just it's just a thing, and he's lived with it for years, and I loved how that 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 played out and 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 addressed itself. Um, well, it was I'm, kind of interesting. The loneliness of being a writer was indeed. really a big through line of this too, which was kind of interesting and how. He, 
you see this version of Stein dealing with that is by creating another creation, um, which was also kind of a a horror, a horror in and of itself of what he did. It is, yeah. He, he created something that could never really truly be. And it's kind of weird when we get to the end of the film, and we'll get to that near the end of the discussions on how that kind of tweaked to become a happy ending, but kind of, you think about it, kind of a sad, not happy ending whatsoever. It, it's still it's still kind of uh, left a nuance. The the happy ending was externalized from R.L. Stein in that instance. It was, it was passed along to the, to the character lead, and so, but he himself is still very much in the same universe he was just in. Yeah. He's more of a controlled acknowledgement of it. Well, so. as they wonderfully put it, and he's like, every story has three parts. The beginning, the middle, and the and twist. And the twist. And the twist. <laughs> the twist. I feel like it's very Mary Shelley of him to have yeah. written this, these characters, these things, these creations that then turn on him. How very... Frankenstein yeah. of them it, to take and it's you know going back to like the original gothic novel and, and Mary Shelley and kind of that science fiction the way it was birthed which I like considering that it's kind of a campy kids movie but you know still has that highbrow literature it, it, does. Yes, to it. it really does it really really does and I think they really achieve a lot of that when you're when you're watching this is it's not just seeing these creatures kind of come out of a page. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, you have some really over the top, goofy, silly things that are happening. And like you should for a kid's film. But I mean, at the same time, though, like as the adults I know that have seen this all thoroughly walked away. Like that was a really fun Halloween story. Very like, much. And it's in that one of those ways where like you try to think of like growing up. And you're like, oh, the Garfield Halloween like special or a Scooby-Doo like something or other. for like, Great Halloween Pumpkin time. or something. Great yeah. Pumpkin. Pumpkin indeed. But it feels like this was kind of like a new classic for a modern era that it's going to last a long time. And it, it's rare to see them anymore because like I loved the one idea that they really steered clear of is technology is not really prevalent anywhere in this film. No. Like, no. It makes it feel like any of this could happen at any point in time. Even like when you see our main character like – Pick up an old video camera, and it is a it is a video camera from like a mid nineties timeline. It almost kind of looks more simplistic in nature, so it feels like it could have popped up from anywhere. You well, you know? look. I mean, you look at the when it comes to technology. You look at the only time technology really comes into play, and it's when the one character is trying to take a selfie with with R.L. Stein. And what happens to that technology? It gets thrown out the window immediately. It, yeah. yeah, and even when they say, "Hey, no one has cell phone coverage," like. It's it's removing the technology from it, so it's kind of like cool, awesome. Like it's off the board. They they're they're keeping it as tightly grounded without making it feel like it's a product of just now, right? And can something that can live a little bit more in the past. It gives it the opportunity to maintain a timeless mechanic that way, so it's not tied to a time frame or a situation. Yeah, which I yeah I, I thoroughly thoroughly loved. Now. Liz, you mentioned there there was some pieces to to this because you read Goosebumps. I'm really curious for the ones that you did recognize. What was that like seeing some of those things come to life? Because I mean, we get a big montage of monsters later on where you yeah, do that, even see like skeletons wearing aprons and stuff like that. That is true, which is kind of nice. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think the biggest one is, of course, Slappy because the first book, Ned the Living Dummy. Yeah. Yeah, it's Woody, not Slappy. Slappy comes afterwards. The, I think it's the Return of the Living Dummy. Right. So for me, I was kind of surprised by the name of the dummy because I was like, wait. Hold up. Then I had to go and look it up because yeah. incessant curiosity. Um, but I feel like it was really interesting. And as like a, a character that I could feel very involved with, Champ felt like kind of the, the audience in the movie because he was so excited and kind of like a fanboy of mm-hmm. R.L. Stein. So all of us 90 kids had like a, a chance to be 
represented as somebody who was like super excited to meet their childhood author friend kind of thing. Um, so that was really nice. And then, of course, all of the, the standard horrifying monsters. And then the end, having the, the big monster be the blob was kind of fun. The blob who ate everyone? The blob who yes. ate everyone, yeah. I was really surprised that the first time I watched that, when, they, when Slappy opens up the book, he's like, I've been saving this one. I'm like, oh, my God, they're going to do monster blood finally. I've been waiting for this. For right! Exactly. Yes. And it never comes. And I'm like, huh. That's interesting. And I'm like, the one the one of the Goosebumps series that they made four books of, like even more than like the Living Dummy. Was it Dummy. four? I thought it was five. Uh, oh, yeah. I think it was five, actually. Yeah. Like, it just never ended. Like, there was different versions of Monster Blood, if memory serves correctly. But like, it was kind of funny. I'm like, huh. That's the one thing I think everybody expected and didn't didn't get. Which was Wasn't it initially what our drink was going to be for this episode? Was. It was Monster yeah. Blood. Originally, Monster originally Blood. the drink I was going to make for this this episode was a, a drink called the Irish Trash Can that I was going to make a change to, which is another drink involving Red Bull that in, involves much, much, much more alcohol. And I'm like, you know what? <laughs> it's not uniquely mine, so I need to do something different. So we'll, we'll get into the reasons on why when we talk about the next flick. Well, this one works. Yeah, this one works yeah. incredibly, incredibly well. So uh, I want to kind of dive into a little bit the whole Jack Black of the, the thing. I mean, because we do see a lot of, you know, there are two elements of this movie to me. There's obviously the whole nostalgia of seeing the Goosebumps elements come to life. Right. But the the tale of R.L. Stein being incorporated into it, because it, this could have very easily have been a movie where R.L. Stein's books came to life, but without R.L. Stein. Exactly. You they didn't have to have R.L. Stein. Right. It still would have been a movie. Uh, you know, it still would have been as successful and probably as good of a movie if this was just somebody who had the collected works of R.L. Stein. But to bring R.L. Stein into it, I thought was a great addition to everything. There's a part, and even after watching it this last time, I realized two different things. One, you you mentioned the blob at the end of the movie, and this was, I, I've seen this movie maybe three or four times. This is probably my third or fourth time rewatching it when prepping for this. There's the whole aspect of R.L. Stein facing his own fears by the end of this, too. It's more than just these monsters and getting them back in the books. There's a character development for Stein himself that develops throughout this entire this entire film. And facing the blob is one of the things that, you know, really comes to fruition at the end is him facing his own fears. I love the fact that Slappy was voiced by, by Jack, Jack Black. Yeah. Because that in its own way, while I'm sure fun for Jack to do, also adds to the fact that, you know, this is a creation from his own mind, so why wouldn't it be his own voice that's being heard as he's as he's facing Slappy? But at the same time, you know, there, there's just so many elements to it that I, I just, I love the whole character development of, of Jack being R.L. Stein. And that was one of, while it was great seeing, maybe it's because I didn't, I never read all the Goosebumps books, books that I wasn't familiar with all of them until I watched this film. That maybe that's why I related more to the whole Jack Black or Al Stein of it all than I did the, the monsters. But I don't know. It's one of the advantages of watching both of the movies. You can see really all the nuances that Jack Black put into Arl Stein. And one of the things that came up when we were watching it was even Liz's comment was. Um, what accent is is uh, Jack Black doing exactly in this? Uh, and uh, we're, do we know where Arl Stein is from? Is he from Ro- Rhode Island, or do we have any idea? I mean, well, the movie takes place in Delaware. In but Delaware, I don't know. It takes yeah. place in Delaware. So I, honestly, I, you know, we can look that up really quick. Thanks, thanks to the power of the internet. Yes, but, but um, it, you know, I, it's it's interesting because it is such a weird, nuanced 
version of a voice, and you're like, it's not even an accident. It's just a weird cadence that exists with him. It does, yeah. And it, it, but it's fun, and it, it's so different because I love the way that we're even introduced to him. It's Mr. Shivers. Exactly. Which is, is a great, great pseudonym for him. He's oh, from Ohio, by the Ohio. way. Ohio. Yes. Okay, Arl Stein is from Ohio. That makes sense. And um, I, I enjoyed um, going off of, um, I, and we really sunk in. We had the cameo at the end of the movie where you saw Arl Stein. You mm-hmm. actually could hear him talking. And how close Jack Black had basically had done an, a nuance of Arl Stein's voice and, and cadence. Yeah, and that was that was what was impressive and enjoyed it so much. Yeah, there, there's a, there's a moment in the movie too, you know, going into the whole Jack Black of everything in in which he talks about it's when they're trying to reveal that Arl Stein is Arl Stein. They have that whole inclination that he is the author of these books and he's pretending not to be and they do the little nod to Stephen King and which is really funny because one of the things that apparently was the only couple things that were ever cut from the film was R.L. Stein asked them to specifically take away there was a couple digs at Stephen King ah, and he said I'm not okay with that because apparently one of the big things that's going on where you have the character Zach kind of saying well R.L. Stein's kind of such and such like a bit of a hack and right. you know, he's just trying to kind of essentially be Stephen King well what, there's an infamous thing that happened was I, I don't know if it was a, a critic or a fan basically made a comment to Stein and said you're essentially a training bra for Stephen King and he actually even met Stephen King later on and said did you ever hear this statement and apparently they had a good laugh about it, but oh my God. they became really good friends over the years after. Well, after I love some of that I, stuff. I love the fact that he refers to him as Steve. He doesn't yeah. even call him Steve. Steve yeah, it's always Steve. Steve. Steve King. And, yeah. But it made me run. I it made me, and I didn't do it. But I wanted to go back and see if I could find interviews with R.L. Stein on YouTube because they. There's I don't, a couple other. Yeah. I don't know if it's something they wrote specifically for the movie or if this was something that's actually true. Is that R.L. Stein goes into the whole discussion as to why he created these elements like he was a kid who was picked on and he created these creatures because in his imagination he wanted them to destroy the people that were against him and I always wanted to see I don't think it's there's any truth to it I think he was just a great horror writer and he decided to write these stories but I wanted to see if maybe there was an interview out there to see if he ever addressed this, to see if there really was any truth to this. Like, this is why he created these characters. I, I wonder, as a, as a, I wrote a lot when I was in high school as a part of my, you know, social nuancing and trying to connect with people and all that. And one of the things I dealt with is social interactions and things like that. So on that level, as a writer who wrote frequently in high school and in, into later into my life, I understand that perspective. And you, you, it's how you address, it's your punching bag. You're, you're addressing your emotions, you're addressing your social angst on paper instead of in person. So you can get it through your head, mm-hmm. you can process them. So I can see that. So maybe there's like a kernel of truth in that statement. And I enjoy the, the aspect of how um, like the, 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 the creatures were written and tied down due to the typewriter. Is it have to have the typewriter to, to do these things? And that, that, on an arcane level, is like a key of creation. When he got removed from society, he ended up creating a situation where he was able to access more of an, his natural self and was able to to draw magic through and then create his own universes and he trapped them on the paper using that typewriter. So having that magic focus, that, that, f- uh, that focused mind, and he just drilled into it and made it happen in this tiny world and then sealed the book. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed the levels and how he used his social uh, construct, his situation, to pull this all together and became successful because of it. But in the same token, as you said, Ben, this also puts him in a situation where he's still, he, he struggles and it leads later to character growth where he addresses his fears because mm-hmm. of this. 
Yeah. So, Liz, what would you say is probably out of this entire film one of your favorite sequences? <laughs> That's hard for me to answer. Um, well, I mean, if I'm going to be completely honest, it has to be one of the end, like the closest to the end sequence when they're all in the school and everything is converging upon the them. Cha- the chaos is the ascended. chaos, of course, yeah. and all of the creatures you can see in the full like breadth of everybody who is who's there all the monsters who are there um i really enjoyed and then the one-on-one uh interaction between slappy and jack black which is interesting or rl stein yeah i I think honestly the fact that he's trying to write his way out of the problem on a set of the shining yes yes. i know there's an extra nod slid in there and my brain just i love looking at that moment and i'm like High school or Does junior high, where they say, "Let's do this." Shining is a school play because then you're like, <laughs> "I thought about that too." No one will ever do this. I know schools that are afraid to do spam a lot because right. of certain because of the content. Certainly, I know who I know schools who have almost shut their musical program down because they want to do dirty, rotten scoundrels. I'm Indeed, like, and who's doing the Shining? Like, yes, this is, it's this amazing. Is ridiculous. Uh, I actually want to pose another question to Liz sure. too, and both of you because Absolutely. I know you read the books. A Some of bit. them. A handful of them, yes. Uh, and I know you've read a majority of them. Or I read a lot. You read like, a lot of them. A lot of them. The, there's the whole twist, which you mentioned, you know, there's the beginning, the middle, and the twist. And when he says that, it's like, okay, we haven't gotten a twist yet. There's a twist coming. The twist. Which it's kind of like a little bit of a prediction for the end of the movie. And the twist is that, which we've kind of already found out at this point in the film, is that Hannah, his daughter was, in essence, The Ghost Next Door, which is mm-hmm. one of the books that he wrote. Yes. As somebody who's never read any of the books, this was a complete mystery to me because I didn't, I was not familiar with this character. But as somebody who's read the books, was this something that you saw coming? A little bit. Okay. the character's name in the book is also Hannah. Okay. They don't really, like, hide it super aggressively. Okay. See, I never read that book. So for me, like, when they did that, I'm like, oh, what a twist. You know, <laughs> right. no, her name is also Hannah. Okay. And okay. she kind of cool. like just stares out the window a whole lot. So her introduction is kind of the same introduction that we get to the character in the book. So I wouldn't say that it was exactly but, shocking, but it was okay. well pieced together in the context sure. of the framing. Yeah, of the film. Very I mean, organic. It, it definitely couldn't have gone that way. Like it could have been that this was like a real life and blood person. So Which she becomes by the end, right? Yeah. But well, when is she? That's yeah, the question. That is the question. Well, because it's She's, actually, he burns the book. He burns, he burns the, the connection point, the foci that allows her to exist. And, he, and when he does that, she can't return to the book. She's actually in the material plane. Right. But, but is she still just a ghost in the material is plane? She a that's ghost. a good that's question. Because that's she, age. Because, well, yeah. right. from, from what I've read online, the intention is that he wrote another book to bring her in so that, because she says at one point in the movie, you can only celebrate so many 16th birthdays. Right. So uh, from what I read online, apparently, is that the intention of that scene was that he wrote another book. She is now a regular, aging, normal person. If he she writes her in that way person. and then burns the book, yeah, she'd absolutely be normal at that yes. point, an actual person. But then at the same time, though, too, if you want to take it in a twisted, creepy way, you're like, nope, no, she's just 17, and she's going to have a lot of 17. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. Sorry, only a year, darling. <laughs> but again, with the mechanics of how the film works, the monster is the thing that comes out of the book. And the reason she came out was because she's a ghost. So right. how is it that she's been written as a person and is right. able it's, to come out of the story? And pages? even though even though there's like sequels to other of these books that exist in this universe and world, and I know we're getting into weird semantics on this stuff, we but are. still, but I think that's what's kind of fun about this is like 
all you see Slappy burn the books of all these monsters. Just all of a sudden, like you, yes, you have a giant praying mantis. The book has been burned. It's still just a giant praying mantis. Nothing changes that. Well, it depends on your perspective of how the, the book is written, how it's applied on, on a magical level, or just in general. If the focus of the book is the monster, and it's not meant to be an actual monster book, but a story about a, a lovely young girl who grows and ages naturally. And she's no also, longer a monster. She's no longer a monster, but yeah. she's the focus of the book. Well, here's a question. So, say, say Zach and Hannah get married, have a beautiful mar- like marriage, and they're on a you know, and they get like have a nice service in Hawaii, exactly in, in the middle of the evening with a nice full moon. Does she still glow? I think no, she because still she's glows. no longer a ghost. She's no longer a ghost. Mm. She only I think did that she because is. she was I think a ghost. She still glows. I, it's, 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 I just, that, yeah. that would have been a great nod. We're like, gonna. Towards we're gonna draw. Draw. Actually, we have a nice crease in the tablecloth that goes right down the middle. So Liz and I are definitely on one side of this argument. No, I think I, 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 I think when he wrote the second book to bring her back in, he, she was no longer. A she ghost. was actually just a real girl. She's she, a real. She girl. wouldn't have to be a ghost. She well, could then be an why didn't person. the actual real people from the rest of his stories come out? Why was it just the monsters? Because they weren't the focus of the book. The monster. Yeah, they are. The They're the main characters. Yeah, oh, that's a good so argument. The argument the people is that are? yeah, yeah, the okay. people like the, 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 we see the, the heroes and heroines of everything well, that help move he, all those things. If forward. he wrote yeah. the book, if this is, comes down to intent, if he intent to wrote the book as the monster being the intent of the book, writing it so he brings the monsters to life. Maybe each well here, here I'll take a small twist on this. Okay, so maybe what it is is what is coming off of the page is his fears, and maybe each one of these is a fear. Right, the fear of being alone is Hannah. So maybe that's why it's the only thing that comes out of it. So, he, oh, that's but I good. also think it could be the title of the book as well as what is becomes the focus that releases that is, off the That's page. a good solid because point. you look at you know when Slappy comes out of the book, the title of the book is Slappy's Revenge. When it comes when the the car comes out, the title of the car is the 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 book. The car is the title of the book. Right. The Adom- the Abominable Snowman is the title of the book. So I think maybe that's what's released from the book rather than the actual character. If he wrote a title, well, then book it would saying, be Fear Street for the giant. Praying Mantis. The Praying Mantis is not. But listed. that's one of the reasons why we never see the title of the book when the Praying Mantis comes out. Is because this way they don't have to address that. Oh, okay. So you're saying it's just a cheat. It's yeah. just a cheat. It's exactly. A it's, it's, okay. It's so a writing ploy. So if he writes a new book with Hannah as a real girl and calls it the new the the, the girl real that girl, lived the girl that lived the girl that lived or the girl that became real yeah now she's a the real girl, girl that became real that's a good one yeah. We're still drawing a line down the middle. <laughs> the line has not moved. <laughs> totally a ghost. There was a brief moment. It may have wavered, but it stayed still and did not show. All right. Zach, Zach, Zach has got a lot of therapy planned for, uh, for his future. <laughs> Falling in love with a ghost, things go horribly Daddy, wrong. Daddy, why is mommy still 17? <laughs> There's an entire <laughs> series of books. Good night, everybody. <laughs> oh, God. That does make it creepy. There oh, is an entire, ser- entire series of books written by a female author called Meg Cabot about a main character who falls in love with a ghost. And it, it doesn't really go well for them, so no. I would oh. assume I would assume that's uh, maybe we're being wistful that it's a happy ending. That it's this. I would well, like to yeah. say so. It is not a happy ending because it is the revenge of the invisible boy. That's is true. Where we leave our story, and there's the twist. <laughs> Which I would do kind of I, I do kind of love the fact that that's that final moment of, uh, of R.L. Stein walking down the hallway, seeing the uh, the typewriter start clicking away, <laughs> and you're like, that's kind of wonderfully brilliant. Yeah, it is. It's just perfect. It was a great close. Um. So I got to say, the one thing I was a little bummed about, no, Welcome to Horrorland. That was one of my favorites. But I mean, yeah. like, we kind of get, quote unquote, Horrorland because sort of the of. pseudo amusement park in the middle of the woods. Atmospherically. Atmospherically. But I will say, though, too, no one is ever going to survive a Ferris wheel, like the rolling off of a track like that. I Am mean, I that the only was... one that wants to see a real ride like that? 
We're yes. the, probably. Yeah. Yes, Ferris, you are. Ferris wheel leaves the that, actual that it disengages like disengages, and you roll through a forest and probably die a horrible. death. I mean, if it's on a track and it's safe, sure, why not? Sir, I'm concerned about your excitement I know, levels. I it know. sounds concerning. Your adrenaline <laughs> levels are way too high. So, so it's the purple drink. It is. How about <laughs> real quick? your last takeaways and your rating for the films because we're already about 30 minutes in and we have another film that still hit. Damon, what is your final takeaways and your rating for this film? I'd call it a treat. You're going to call it a treat? I do, I, I, I'm To play off of what you said earlier, I think it's a really good modern piece that um, we're running into the air right now for where ideas are getting kind of limited. I, I don't think we, we're not completely out, but I enjoy the fact that it that it does its best to Severed the technology arc, which does pin it to a time frame, and then allows it to become more timeless in that regard. This could happen in any situation in which a story is created, and I hope for the rest of mankind we're always creating stories. So it's a great new modern movie for Halloween for a family setting, and that's fantastic. I would like to see fresh blood like this. This is good. This is this. I have not. I have heard about Goosebumps for years. It's always been interesting. I've never gotten back to it because I missed the arc when I was growing up. But it's, I really love the movie a lot. It was really fun. Fantastic. Liz. So I'm going to be one of those really annoying fans and say that this is a trick. Okay. Because I missed out on my favorite parts of those books, even if there's 65 of them and you couldn't reasonably fit them in. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe they're in the sequel. Yes. We're not talking about the sequel. We're talking about this one. Very true. So my favorite ones aren't in this, this exact film. So this is, this is a load of hooey. (laughs) <laughs> no good. <laughs> oh my! Exact one is, it's crap. It's crap. Uh, I'm gonna give it a treat. I, I again, this is a movie I've watched a couple times already. I've enjoyed it every time I've watched it. I think Jack Black's portrayal of Arl Stein is fantastic. I think it fits so well into the vernacular of the film. And even as somebody who never read any of the Goosebumps novels, I was still able to enjoy the movie. So I I give it a treat. I think it's a lot of fun. Fantastic. I'm going to give it a treat just because a werewolf plays with a dog toy, a squeaky dog toy. So. <laughs> oh, no, that's right. That was a beautiful uh, I moment. I mean, like, how can you know? Like, this is an amazing piece of film. So, uh, but no, I thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. I do think it's going to become kind of another new kind of like modern classic for kids growing up. A great film for Halloween. Um, and for the few books that I did read in the Goosebumps series, I felt like it captured those feelings incredibly well. Just like Liz, though, there are a few ones that I was really kind of bummed that weren't there. Like Monster Blood was one of my favorites. So I was like kind of like, oh my God, it's coming, it's coming. And I'm like, really? <sighs> All right, fine. I guess we're doing this one instead. But like, still, like, <laughs> but I will say it was really still thoroughly enjoyable. And I love those silly, dumb concepts of books coming to life sometimes. Whether it was going back to like being a kid and watching like things like The Page Master, a movie that no one oh remembers. Oh God, Page uh, Master. I remember that. Macaulay Culkin. My God, sir. So far so, back. Yeah, seriously. But like, even though like we our very first episode of the show, we talked about um, you know scary stories to tell in the dark, which is essentially you know essentially the same idea, where it's yeah. it's these stories coming to life in some way, shape, and form. And I I do think it's great to have the nod, but I love the idea of having the author as a present character, and it's a real life person. But you have somebody else portraying that and like kind of playing with that concept and idea, I think was really just the glue that made this continue to move forward. Like Zach is the average everyday kid that is a lead of one of these films. Champ was the quirky best friend. And then you had the love interest of Hannah and stuff like that. So it felt very by the numbers. But the moment that you bring the author of these books that is coming to life is one of the characters. 
things kind of take a turn for a weird, fun way. And I think that's what makes it unique and special. It, so. it brought it from good to great, bringing, having Arlson actually present, and yeah. even characterized in, this, in the movie. Yeah. yeah. I, think I, that was I do want to say, uh, I have one of these for both Goosebumps and The House with the Clock on Its Walls, but there are two characters who make appearances in these movies that we enjoy from other projects. Uh, Houston Sage is actually in Goosebumps, who we know from the Orville. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she plays the one that um, that Champ ends up uh, rescuing nice. at the end. The blonde girl. Yes, yes. she. Is, we know her from the Orville, and we loved her from the Orville. So, and I have one of them for the house from the clock on its walls. Too. Awesome. Well, why don't we then shift to our next film, which is The House with the Clock in its Walls, also starring Jack Black and Kate Blanchett, a person who doesn't age at all. No. Oh, my God. And she's still stunning at 50. <gasps> so I, gorgeous. Yes. I, I want to I kick this off by saying two things. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do the character the same as I did from House and Sage. I have something to add to it when you're, when okay. you're complete. Um, but first off, as you mentioned, Kate Blanchett. At what, 54 years no, old? 50 even. She's 50 even? 50 even. I have such a crush on her still uh-huh. to this day. She is amazing in everything she's in and she's absolutely gorgeous. She's fantastic in this movie. But the character that, that I... that uh, Halston Sage from Goosebumps is easily recognizable, but there's a character in this movie who's not recognizable at all unless you know her. Uh, if you're fans of the movie Clue, the maid from Clue is in this movie. Colleen Camp. Colleen Camp plays the neighbor across the street. Oh, she oh. does. My God, man. That's why I kept watching it. I watched, I've watched House of the Clock and its Walls a couple of times now, and I kept looking at the neighbor. Why is the neighbor so familiar? This is killing me, man. Miss, yep, Mrs. Hanchett. Mrs. Hanchett. Yep. And oh, well played, sir. Thank you for explaining that. That was yes. tickling my brain. That would probably be Thank where you, you recognize so it. So the other thing I felt like we needed to add is this, instead of being called the tale of Jack, we could have this called the tale of daddy issues because all three of our <laughs> oh, films, seriously? all the films we're talking about, all are massive daddy issue movies. <laughs> Seriously. Um, because and then it even goes back to like when the last time you guys were on, we were talking about Sleepy Hollow. Like, you know, that that's where it was there too. But now again, you have, you know, in Goosebumps, a kid dealing with the loss of his father, and this one, the loss of both of his parents. So ta da. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So but this is a fun movie. I mean, 2018, it, yeah. it came out. It's one of those movies that I went and saw in theaters. I didn't know what to expect because I'm not familiar with the literature at all. Mm-mm. And but I I knew that I liked Jack Black and Goosebumps. So that is actually, it's that's why I'm glad we let in with Goosebumps because that was actually the reason why I went and saw this in theaters was because I liked what he did with Goosebumps. So I'm like, all right, I'll give this a shot. It looks kind of fun. And I saw it in theaters and I actually really enjoyed it. I thought it was a lot of fun. Yeah, so for you guys, was this this your first watch on this film or no? No, we had actually previously seen it. Um, I was interested in it because Kripke, or Eric Kripke, the, yeah. the um, creator, writer for like the first five seasons of Supernatural. Correct, yeah. Um, yeah he, was, uh, he, was, he was the main writer on this episode, Right, I think correct? he was a writer, maybe producer, writer, Right, right, right. But he, he, did have, some, he did have heavy some involvement. Some sense. Right. Um, had involvement, and I kind of got like this was... One of the reasons that he wanted to do Supernatural was the book because of the that this is based off of, and that there was a few Easter eggs in there for fans of Supernatural. Oh yeah, did you did you spot any specific ones? I, I don't think I I caught anything offhand. Well, there's but... the yellow eyed demon to Zazel. Oh, so that would be one of them, one uh, of the more obvious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obvious ones. Uh, yeah, the Prince of Hell, Azazel, yes. mm-hmm. um, who's there as the teacher for the warlock. But um, I think there's a couple other ones in there that are sort of subtle. I. 
probably should watch back through and kind of really zone in on any other Easter eggs. Yeah, I definitely have to take a look for them now, not not thinking about that. Right. Like the first five seasons of Supernatural were just, they're wonderful because they tell such a great, very well done story. Such a solid character arc. I must say, I kind of. That's where we stop every time we we, we rewatch because it's such a great. (laughs) Everything after that is fanfic. Yeah. It's fan serviced. (laughs) Fan serviced fanfic. And that's fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I, I, I thoroughly agree because it takes so, like, you know, it gives us such a great story. And you can see a really... I love the cohesive story we get here. I mean, uh, I've never read the original book that this is based off of. So, neither have I. Um, so that was... I think this was a full-on new idea for me when seeing the trailer for this film. That was like, we need to kind of check this out. It looks fun and twisted in a weird, goofy way. And then... Finding out as I watched the film, I'm like, oh my god, Kyle MacLachlan's in this movie. And I'm like, Twin Peaks apparently is is a part of this now. Exactly. And I'm like, this is amazing. I love <laughs> this idea. So I I, there's, I love a lot of what they played with here. But I, I think that mysticism and idea of magic here is done in such great ways. And I loved that concept of, well, everybody has their own magic in the way that they do it. Like, you can put anything in front of somebody, but, like, that last 1% has to be you. But I love that we get that final moment with with the boy in this when he actually gives his own spell, and it's so over the top and so bizarre and so weird. And there's that moment with Kim, with Kim like, just, wow. Well, he's weird. weird. <laughs> <laughs> that was perfect. That was so beautiful. Um, but I mean, like you know, Jack Black though, I, you know, being our thorough like uh, like through line through all of this stuff, gives such a wonderfully interesting performance here, because it, it's that parental unit that's not really being a parental unit; it's more that being that best friend, like yeah. like the like the pleasant uncle, you know, like yeah, the, the one yeah, the eccentric one that shows up with a with a nice beautiful hat and a kimono to pick you up off a Greyhound bus. Yeah, <laughs> yes, that that was a beautiful character introduction. I feel like it's kind of the the masculine version of the aunts from Practical Magic. There you go. We have exactly. the uncle, Uncle Jonathan, sort of ushering him into his family, not so much family heritage as it was in Practical Magic, but kind of what he can be yeah, which is sort yeah. of an interesting well i think look one of the other it. things that was a really easily overlooked piece about this film is i loved the fact that jonathan and um florence you know obviously uh, mrs Zimmerman, they don't have a sexual relationship it's no. i love the fact that they didn't even try to push that idea at all it was great and it was just kind of like no they're just best friends and yeah. it's it's great to be like yeah men and women can have can be best friends with each other without having to have sexual attraction. Can can be genuine companions. And I think that was and, really yeah. wonderfully done because it's so rare. Because like when you first see it, I'm like, okay, they're going to get together at the end of the movie. And then when they didn't, I'm like, bravo. I'm like, thank you for like being like, no, we don't have to shoehorn this plot into this. And I think one of the things that worked the best about that too is the dynamic between Jack Black and Kate Blanchett playing those two characters was fantastic. It was very organic. It's very the, solid. The the digs at each other. The digs at right. each other very are normal. hysterical. They're, yeah. they're very they're off the cuff. I wouldn't be half half surprised if they were ad libbed because they were just on top of it. Yeah. Oh yeah, they were so quick. They're like, and the wit was so sharp between the two. Oh of god, them. it was yeah. wonderful to watch. And, and I love by the end of the film too, like when there's that moment after they they stop the clock and they come back together at the end when, when you know when when um when lewis says to says to them you know do you want to be a black sheep with us right like it's a, it's a way of them becoming a family without being an actual blood oh, family oh black swan black, black swan black yes. swan black and she's swan. like and she says can i be, be purple? purple can i be a purple you know, swan can i be a purple swan you know I want to real quick too before we go any further. I want to go back to you mentioning Eric Kripke with Supernatural. The last time we had you guys on, we were talking about 
Sleepy Hollow. And this just goes to show you the type of way Supernatural has affected my brain is when we see uh, the Headless Horseman in the grave, the first thought that came to my mind is, why are we not just throwing salt in there and burning it? (laughs) (laughs) Salt and burn. Why are we overdoing this? What's with the mystery decoding? What's with just just remove the Headless Horseman? The Winchesters would have had this dealt with already. My God, this would be an episode arc. What are you doing? It might actually be a moment where you have to like say Cristo just to make sure it's not a demon because that that tree (laughs) had something wrong with it. It did. So, but yeah, I mean, it's it, the, the dynamic with Kate Blanchett and Jack Black worked so well. And you're right. I wouldn't be surprised if there were moments where it was ad-libbed and they were just knocking at each other for fun. It was so it was so natural and organic and you can't, they have solid chemistry as companions. Yeah. Non-romantic companions. Yeah. And that does make a difference. It really made the movie that extra more impressive. Yeah, it just felt like best friends ribbing on each other just because it's like it's it's their way of saying I love you and thank you for everything. And it was it was cool to see, but it was never it never came off malicious though too. An affectionate exchange, right? And that's always how it felt, which was really awesome to see. Well, because you would see them dig at each other, and then the next scene they're smiling, like Mm -hmm. they're just kind of giving each other these grins, like okay, that was fun, and that's the way it played off. Well, speaking to sort of the asexual, aromantic nature of their platonic relationship. I thought it was really interesting that we have Miss Zimmerman dressed in purple the whole season, the, the whole uh, show, because lavender is the color of lesbians. And in the past, it was kind of the way for them to identify themselves to each other right around actually 1945 in um, World War II. A lot of lesbians were a part of the, the army and were part of the, the military kind of thing because it was a good way for them to get you know, out there and, and meet each other. That's and, really awesome. And get kind I of was thing. not aware of that. That right. is not, actually adds a really fun layer. So I know that she had a, a husband and a child mm-hmm. and that kind of thing and was a part of, it's very sort of slightly skimmed over, but kind of shown that she was part of the um, the concentration camps. But right, right, right. We don't really know why with the last name of Zimmerman, we can kind of assume a little bit of Jewish heritage there, mm-hmm. but I like to think that it was maybe a little bit also because of uh, a bisexual nature there as yeah, well. Yeah, it's very, very possible. Yeah. It's, it was not uncommon for lesbian women who desired to have families, especially during the time frame, right. that they go and actually right. find a, a, an appropriate male companion and have and a family with them. And they love them just the same. It's not any different. Oh, absolutely. So, and, yeah. I mean, you know, that still exists today. It like, does indeed. It's, it's not uncommon still based on where you live in the world, what state you're in, county you're in. It, it, that's still not unheard of. It was one of the so. one of the cultural subtleties that I enjoyed. I mean, they were even acknowledging some of the the segregations and the presence of how African Americans and Caucasian Americans were separated in the school and all that. With even the water fountains, in that brief like heartbeat of a moment when he's like like you know magicking the fountain because the guy's like you know just completely drinking all of it. Was there a second fountain? Am I crazy? I don't remember, but I did look into it. They were supposed to be in Michigan, and things didn't get desegregated. Um, officially until the 70s there. They didn't pay as much attention to it as they did the South in desegregation. Gotcha. And so in Detroit especially, things were segregated, whether by governmental means or by just where you lived um, up until the 70s, 80s. I don't like okay. how they, that was one of, the, one of the subtle nuns they slid in there as a part of the culture of the movie. And it was acknowledged, and it was very much important, and, in, and I loved how it was built into it as a character piece of the movie. And it's something we talked about, too, with um, uh, Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark, because they set that back in, like, 1968 during um, Nixon's re-election. And you watch all of that and how that plays out. And, like, we talked about that heavily in the pilot, which was really kind of how, like, 
even modern modern situations and the way that they impact when you look back a couple centuries back and we're talking 50 years and here we're taking talking even longer and showing how a lot of those things are prevalent again and i think it's really interesting that you're starting to see that in film now where you have a period piece that's reflecting upon problems of the time then that still equally exist now and they're kind of like we're going to smack you upside the face with it but not in a brutal exactly nature, where if you look for it you'd very much see what's happening behind behind the curtain a little bit but it, it was kind of interesting to see you're right though it, it, there's a lot of little subtlety all throughout this that's very much there um i mean even if you look at our our, our villains of this piece you know like um uh izzard you know or is it izard i can't remember isaac um, well i know it's isaac it's isaac yeah isaac isard <clears throat> isaac isard i mean like his idea of kind of all these atrocities from war he's like why don't we just not have any of this right humanity is the disease in this instance right. according to his his diabolical mind yeah so but like you even think about it i mean it very much is exactly where we're at right now in our society we're like nope we are the cause of all the problems that are related to our feet currently exactly and, and it's this is that idea of like this is the extreme it's like you go back to looking at talking about like avengers like i was just gonna Infinity say War, I, izard's and, the thanos of this story. he really is he's exactly snap, that it's the tick of a clock yeah you know, right it's, it's, i'm going to reverse time yeah we're, we're going to undo everything which leads us to one of the most unsettling parts of this film. <laughs> Yay! Is it Jack back as a baby? Yes. 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 Yeah. As, as, as the joke that, that Mrs. Zimmerman actually makes about the big head, and he's actually a giant head on a baby's body. Oh, God. It's such an unsettling <laughs> scene. It was, it was one of, you're right. It was one of those unnerving parts of the movie. We see all sorts of crazy things happening, like lion topiary, you know, crapping out dead pumpkins and spitting pumpkins out, spitting out yeah. like, you know, all sorts of things. And all these things are fun, but you get to that moment, I'm like, Kind of out. I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for the remote to pause this because I need a minute. Um, <laughs> you know, yes, exactly. Yeah, it's the only moment of that movie that I'm like, was this necessary? <laughs> did, did we have to? Why do, do this? we have to have adult Jack Black's face on a baby? Why is there a goatee involved? <laughs> yeah. What's happening here? Perfectly coiffed hair, the trimmed goatee, everything. But on even a baby. still, like though too, like it's like a CG version of his face. It's not right. even like just his head, just superimposed. No. It's just like we're gonna make a bad CG version that makes it even like you added an uncanny valley on top of it. And you're like, right? Why was this necessary? Stop that! Right. It's like the same. <laughs> studio that made the second part of breaking dawn for twilight the weird cgi baby thing happening was like you know what'd be a great idea to add to this film <laughs> another one of those it makes me think of like um uh what's his name kevin smith whenever he talks about john peters and the giant spider from, oh like, yeah superman from, Sp and, like, from superman and you oh, see it man. appear in all these john peters films and you're like why why, why, must we, you do why this? have we done this why have we done this <laughs> I think I'm um, kind of getting away from the whole Jack Black creepy <laughs> yeah, baby thing. Yeah. I, I think one of the things that we haven't brought up yet is the fact of who directed this movie, and that's Eli Roth. Mm -hmm. Eli Roth, who's known for movies like Hostel and Inglorious Bastards, like oh, that this is, is a right. different. Well, I mean, he didn't direct Inglorious Bastards. He was well, he was in Inglorious he Bastards was, he, too. He's he was, actually in House with the Clock in Its Walls too. Yes. He has a cameo appearance. He is. Uh, he's in when they're watching the Captain Midnight show. Uh, he is uh, in Captain Midnight. Is yep. he Captain Midnight? Uh, I don't know if he's Captain Midnight or just one of the characters, but like you actually see him dressed in like army regalia um, in the on the portrait. No, he's um, Comrade Ivan. Comrade in I was the say, house I was going to get Ivan off the top so, of my head. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, so like I said, we do see him Comrade make a quick Ivan. appearance. But this is a tonal change for Eli Roth. Like he's still oh, sticking with the horror aspect, but he's going more family friendly. And in reading a lot of the reviews that I read on the movie online, there are some people that actually really had a problem with that because they expected a movie 
from Eli Roth to be more gory and more Dark horror. And- yeah, because you, when you look at the, the movies it has given us in the past, like Hostel is a good example. People expected a little bit more of that. But what do you expect from a family... From a from a a, a well, young adult book, he, right? Like he you achieved, can't go that route. I, I, he achieved it though. I mean, like you get to the room with all the automatons, and that's horrifying. I don't care who you are. Like when you see all of them, like still when Lucas walks into that room for the first time, <laughs> and you're like, no, thank you. <laughs> I'm like I would never ever walk into that room. Time, he's back. He's back. Mountain Sword Masters is back, or whatever. Yeah, oh yeah, he's coming. He's, he's coming. coming. He's coming. Okay, Whoa. guys. Yeah, because, again, it was unsettling. It was unsettling in all the perfect right ways, and it was great. But, like, you still have, like, you can have a master of horror do these fun, interesting things. Like, right. a great example, like, Ben, is a director you and I both love is Sam Raimi. Like, oh, Sam God, Raimi, yeah. like Sam Raimi, yeah. He, he has his roots in horror, but, like, you even look at um, Spider-Man. Spider-Man 2. Yep. Spider-Man 2 is mm-hmm. a great example. There's this beautiful shot that looked like... With Doc like, Ock. With Doc Ock, yeah. where he's on the operating table, and they're trying to remove the pieces from his back, and it looks like a shot that came out of Evil Dead Yes, too. it does. Yeah, Very much so. It's beautiful. It, it's But, like, you still see Eli Roth's style all over this film. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, you're, you also have to remember, though, he's also the same person that hosted Shark Week. I mean, come on. I mean, Did like, he? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I didn't I know mean, that. Did. I don't watch Shark Week, so it's, I didn't know. But I, I didn't mean, realize like, that. I think it's the fact that, like, you know, I, we talk about the stuff on Caffeine Curl at the time of, like, um, you know, fan expectations sometimes are so over the top, especially when you're a hardcore fan of one person's work. And the moment that they break your expectations, it feels like they're they're doing you a disservice and i think it's just kind of like no no they're they're allowed to express themselves creatively exactly. because if not we wouldn't have half the things that we have currently like you know you could have all of these people create something unique and they say oh you know what i'm gonna try my hand at this and then that's what they're ultimately end up being known for i mean i think that's what's so much fun about creative minds is and, and there's pers- no there's no limit there's no po- no no it no keeps possibility being pigeonholed. It's impossible. yes yeah. i mean personally i i like it when we see not just directors but actors kind of take a chance on other things i mean you look at some actors who are known as comedians and when they do dramatic roles they shine they, exactly you look, at, you, you look at will ferrell who's known as like you know for Anchorman and, and all those then movies. Stranger Than Fiction happens. Stranger Than like, Fiction, and, and you're like solid. blown away from it. Yeah. Uh, Bill Murray's another one. You look at like Caddyshack and things like that, but then he does movies like St. Vincent, which are fantastic. And one of the big solid. ones that everybody's talking about right now, too, is Joker. I mean, like you have Todd Phillips who wrote The Hangover, you yeah. know, and is now doing a film that everybody's it's saying. It's winning awards oh my God, at film right. He did do Hangover, didn't he? Yeah, yeah that, was, that. that was the thing he's known for, and everybody says this is going to probably get at least three to four Oscar nods. But then it brings us right back to Jack Black, and it's a person that was known for being a musician. And then turned into this family-friendly exactly. actor, and I think that's where it steers it completely back to what we were talking about, which is why we were doing "Let's Do a Tale of Jack" because yeah. this is a person that you could see if he just said, "Hey, I'm going to make Halloween movies for families for the rest of my day as an actor." I'm like, please do. Like, I'm thoroughly enjoying them. Something dawned on me while we're doing this podcast and why this movie resonates. You don't want to do it anymore, do you? No, no, it's, <laughs> oh. I'm done. Well, it's fine. No, because and, like, um, like five minutes. Oh, yeah, so. yeah, sorry, but to me, I realized that you combined two. Two uh, Samhain, you know, Halloween, fall movies together in one. This is practical magic in Adam's family as really as one movie. And it's like they're they're really because yeah. yeah, we're watching it. We're watching this movie. And I'm like, if I forget it's in 19, 1955? 1955. Yeah. 1955. I forget it's nineteen fifty-five because we're in the house. And the goggles on his head, that's normal to me. That's steampunk. You know? Yeah. We get into the house. I see this glorious house that I would live in in a heartbeat. And Which, before I even knew it was magical. It's like, I want to get back because I want to watch the Captain Midnight it, show. Exactly. I don't have a TV. And he doesn't question it because, you know what? Not everybody's going to have a TV yet. Exactly. 
And you don't um, you don't question like him throwing a fit about it because if you brought somebody from today's day and age, and you lived with your aunt and uncle and said, "Oh, you know, I really want to watch this tonight on YouTube," and they're like, "Well, we don't have internet connection," they lose their mind. Yeah. Oh God, they've, they've blown away. What, what are you talking about? That's yeah. impossible. And they did a great job of a fusing, taking, breaking the mold, separating from his usual body work. And I'm glad he did because this is a beautiful example of not being pigeonholed. There's opportunities out there. And I love how this movie took the, the, the beautiful magic and the family aspect of Practical Magic and, and more of the family aspect from Adam's family and the kookiness and the crazy house and family and just fused it together. With a really nice, nice, you know, and that was magic that background. Was a similar takeaway to what I had is this, this is the thing that's closest to the '90s version of the Adams Family that we exactly. had. Exactly, uh, it had that magic to it, it, that that weirdness, but it was never questioned weirdness. It was no. like this is normal every this day. Is yeah, this is what it's supposed to be. You want cookies yeah. for dinner? We'll have cookies for dinner. Yeah. By the way, you should be careful with the pumpkins in the backyard and be careful where the lion sits. It could be a mess. You know, things like that. And this is normal. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it's it's such a beautiful thing, yeah. With the, I think with that being said, why don't we just go around and we'll give our rating and our final thoughts sure, on the movie. I want to say real quick too. Uh, I absolutely plan on posting this on Twitter and tagging Jack Black. So Jack, if you happen to listen to this, um, yeah, we're big fans and we want you to come Massive. on an episode of the podcast. Oh, that'd be fantastic! <laughs> oh my god, that'd be that'd be phenomenal! Oh my god, amazing! So, uh, but let's go around and we'll start with Damon. Uh, your final thoughts and your trick or treat on the, on the movie. Oh, a solid treat! This this movie on on so many levels just makes my my giddy little heart just just thump <laughs> you giddy aunt you're giddy aunt indeed <laughs> um they're they're everything about this movie was well polished well focused and very beautiful on to the the cultural circumstances to the on as a as a public level on a personal level like the the house and then the world around them and how they were very well balanced and characterized very well and the plot and everything everything was done very well and it had a, had a really good prestige i was excited about it, it was definitely a treat okay Liz. Oh, definitely a treat for me as well. <laughs> the ever enduring lady crush that I have on Kate Blanchett. Oh my god! <laughs> Don't we all? Uh-huh. Still heavens. continues. I still every once in a while just look up a picture of her from Thor Ragnarok, and I'm like, <sighs> a little yeah. bit of that, a whole lot of it of uh, Ocean's Eight, because oh, oh man, the only reason I even watched Ocean's Eight. Ocean's Eight was just like just just constant just Kate that Blanchett outfit, beauty, that and, motorcycle. Uh, Whew. Anyway, <laughs> I would also like to have a snake called Snake Spear. Um, and, and your husband almost lost his drink this time. In where <laughs> That was my turn. Fair play, my love. Fair yeah. play. Excellent, excellent. Yes. So I will definitely rewatch this over yeah. and over and over again. Uh, I'm going to also go ahead and give this a treat as well. Um, Damon, just like you stated originally, you know, this Adam Assembly is a, a film that I can't wait for when we actually wrap up our season because that's one of the ones we're talking yep. about. And I hold that film so near and dear. So you already know the review I'm giving that film, but I haven't felt that way about a new film that has that same idea since until watching this. So House of the Clock in Its Walls, I think is a really just masterpiece in like a great entry to weirdness for for youth, like saying, hey, you can really kind of be whatever you want. You don't have to focus on societal norms. But in addition to that, though, I really just, again, want to reiterate how great it is to see a film not force a romantic plotline and show that men and women can just be friends. It's huge. And it's and it's not this whole idea of behind it. It's like, well, in actuality, one of these people is really pining for the other or something like that. It's like, no, you can have a platonic asexual relationship with a person and it's truly somebody that you care about. And I would love to see more of that done the way that it was done here in other films. And I really hope people take that to heart. 
So good on this. Yeah, uh, it's an absolute treat for me as well. Uh, you know, in addition to everything that you guys are saying, I think just, you know, <clears throat> Owen Vaccaro is Lewis, uh, you know, Jack Black, Kate Blanchett. I think the three of them as leads really shine. There's a beautiful dynamic between all three of them. And again, Kyle McLaughlin, like, bring, yeah, bring the lead of Twin Peaks into anything. You're like, <laughs> oh, I know, right? <laughs> yes. Especially weird. Like, you just bring him I mean, into like, anything again, weird. Like, it's that David Lynchness kind of creeps into this. I know. Because of his involvement. It's great. I love it. Yeah. I mean, and to anybody who criticized Eli Roth for going this route when it comes the horror hard just dude good on him yeah, yeah absolutely. absolutely i think this is a wonderful wonderful way to to kind of kind of i guess not change directions but to try something different to still stay in your lane but kind of just shift slightly to make it more family friendly i, I think mean, it was honestly, so well done I'll put it this way if, if you told me that barry sonnenfeld directed this film i would have been like I, I absolutely agree with you i you know what i wouldn't even put this past being of zemeckis at some point yeah. too because it even has a little bit of a zemeckis feel there's, to there's it. that there's there's that 80s 90 early 90s magic that's all over this when people absolutely were going and I, one of the things too you know aside from the one weird sequence it's so great that both of the films that we talked about here while there was a lot of cg it never felt like it got in the way no, either goosebumps no, I, or the. Whole, I mean, the only the Jack Black baby thing was the only that, thing that, that was yeah. about it. But that like, was it. you know, <laughs> we, and we're talking about two films that are littered with it everywhere, and it never felt like it, it, it stalled or stopped the story. Never. Yeah, I mean, even going back to goosebumps, like just the the whole CG of the words coming off the page to create. Like the, this these creatures was great. Look what he is flying into the world. Yeah, yes, you know, and the CG in this in this film and the House with the Clock in Its Walls was so well done and so not over the top it was so subtle it was well really well done that gave me chuckles like even at the point where even after the movie was over and it's leading into the the end credits and you see just a bunch of leaves on the chair mm-hmm. and jack black yelling no kitty bad kitty use the litter box <laughs> like that gave me a chuckle like even going into the credits and it's just it's wonderfully you have the done. chair chasing the the hedge line in the credit sequences yeah. and stuff like that too so it's it's so wonderfully done it's an absolute treat the one thing the one thing we didn't mention man tarby is the worst kid ever Oh, yeah. oh my god! Yeah. Right, yeah. and I saw him, and I'm like, he's so familiar, and I couldn't figure out what I had seen him in, but it was something, and I'm like, I can't remember. He's such a little jerk. You're and just he, like, he was absolutely the worst. He no was lie. a terrible man. I want to say he actually was in God of War. He is. He's the voice of Atreus in God of he's War. He's Atreus in God yep. of War. Oh. Okay. And, well, that 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 ties it all together. And but he was fantastic in God of War because he was a, a little piece of piece of. Uh, Crap in that too, but like he ended up growing. Like <laughs> we're rolled, sir. We're rolled. Yes, and that's like, okay. and that's really that's like, the only other thing he's he's well okay. known that he's done. Okay, yeah. Well, I guess the last thing we need to do is if we have any recommendations for weird, twisted family films yeah, like this. So that. many. I, I know actually. this one's tricky. I mean, if you guys don't have one, it's quite okay. I think I have three. Okay, go for it. Is that weird? Sure. All right. No. So for the. Um, the Goosebumps, I think I would have to recommend Never Ending Story just because the concept Good of call. having a that's book a, that's a really great come call. to life and have a character kind of become an, embroiled in a book. And and not to mention, too, the, the level of how disturbing Never Ending Story truly gets. It's real weird. The, yeah. the, <laughs> the entire book is uh, kind of horrifying, actually. Um, even if it is kind of now a topical reference, but with Stranger Things and uh, Dustin singing. Um, and then I guess for A House of the Clock and Its Walls, 
I think because of Tarby, my brain goes immediately to it, even though that's definitely not a child's film. He does seem like he'd be he one of the kids like from it. Oh my God, you are right. Jerk bullies from it. Like it just kind of yeah. has that feeling, and maybe it's because the original I story. The new I have it. not seen the new. It's from like the fifties, and like they kind of update it to make it more of the eighties. Sort of, kind of goes together. Okay. I can totally um, see. I, I'm, I'm, well, you mentioned you had a third. Well, we've already mentioned it. Uh, Practical Magic okay. being the other one with the, the family of magical users. Which, oddly of. enough, is getting a, a series on HBO Max. That's really? right. Is the cast coming back? Uh, I don't or is know. It a new cast? But I do know that Practical Magic is going to be coming into the mix. And I believe it's a, I don't know if it's a prequel. I think it's a prequel series that's dealing it with the ants. It makes sense. Well, to, I mean, yeah. the, it is also based on a book. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which is totally different from the film. Hmm. Interesting note. Um, but like that whole family of magic users bringing in orphans and like raising them with sort of unconventional rules would be the other thematic uh, okay. elements for those. Damn. So yeah. Um, the one in this, it's, it's for me because this movie has a lot of has somewhat hermetic magic sort of approach to it and everything between. The strange one I would recommend, I don't know if anyone's even heard of this. Uh, there's actually a series that, uh, young adult uh, wizard series that predates uh, Harry Potter. And that's going to be the So You Want to Be a Wizard series. And by Dan Duane, who actually ironically does a lot of Star Trek novels. Hmm. And who's, who's known as doing Star Trek and I think Spider-Man novels. And then she wrote her own series that is more... Um, uh, so you want to be a wizard where you find a book in a library that is actually calling to you, that is the universe itself coming to you saying, I want you to become a wizard. And you must, can, you know, have it, has, it has the same aspect of the whole, well, to become a warlock, you have to defeat, you know, an evil spirit. Well, as a part of your trials to become a wizard in the So You Want to Be a Wizard series, you must defeat the darkness. You just go ahead and, and, and defend yourself against it. And it's a part of your original ideal ordeal. And it proves that you are on the side of, of good and of the light. And it does it goes into some really crazy... Um, it's more sci-fi. So if Harry Potter was more arcane sort of fantasy style, this is hard sci-fi. Like one of the character goes and terraforms a planet because she can and then wields and like melts a star. All sorts of insane things. She does great work with it. I highly recommend... Um, so you want to be a wizard series by Dan Dwayne. She's got like eight or nine novels out. It's been out since the eighties. So you don't just put your hand on a staff and say Shazam. No, no, you actually, okay. this is one of the, one of the, um, I'll uh, briefly, uh, Colonel it. You have to actually form spells and they have spell chains. They wear around them when they go out and do things and all that. They're on, they, they practice on the moon on a regular basis. It's a whole, hmm. it's, it's, I can't recommend it enough. So like a young version of the magicians. Yes. Got it. <laughs> all right. Um, I, I'm gonna. I got a couple recommendations. Uh, obviously, Tale of Jack. We talked a lot about Jack Black. If you're if you're looking for another family friendly Jack Black movie, I highly recommend Jumanji. Welcome to the Jungle. It was one that, as a huge Robin Williams fan, I didn't know if I was going to like it because I'm very traditional when it comes to Robin Williams. It's one of the reasons why I didn't like the new Aladdin is because Will Smith to me just is not. Sorry if he's listening, but I, he's just not the genie to it's me. Not landing the bottle. Yeah, uh, Jack Black would have been an amazing genie. I still say it to this day. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> oh god, yeah. It's and but it's you know, it's, I went into Jumanji. I went into it with the impression that I wasn't going to like it, knowing full well that it's a sequel. They're not rebooting 
Jumanji like they did Aladdin. Right. You know, it's not somebody else playing the part that Robin played. Nobody else is coming in and playing Alan Parrish. And there's one line. I've, I've said this a number of times on Caffeine Crew and a number of other podcasts. There's one line in Jumanji that the moment I heard that line, I'm like, I'm good. Like, I'm... And if you've ever seen Jumanji, it's the scene where they're in the treehouse. Right. And Alan Parrish has carved, he's got his card, Alan Parrish was here written on the, on the, carved into a board. And um, whatever Jonas brother that was, Nick Jonas. Nick. You know, says, this is Alan's house. <laughs> yes. I'm just living in it. And I'm just, like, yeah, I'm good. That was, that was the beautiful nod. You that just was... played nod to the original without overstepping it. That was perfect. I'm good. That's... Uh, and the trailer to Welcome to, to Jumanji, the next level, just looks fantastic it looks just as good uh the other recommendation i will say uh is very reminiscent to what the special effects that we kind of got out of these two movies is if you haven't seen them yet check out the night at the museum series yeah i'm a i'm a big fan of those series and i think like when it comes to things coming to life in a magical way that's another great one to watch and again another robin williams robin williams he's in all three of them so roosevelt Roosevelt. so for me i'm i'm gonna give the easy one here uh because i generally believe that it's still well worth your time if you enjoyed goosebumps definitely watch goosebumps too uh it's still a really haunted halloween yeah yeah haunted halloween it also came out in 2018 actually the reason jack black is not a large part of that film is because he was shooting a house with a clock in its walls which came out around the same time so he does have a nice little cameo near the end of the film I do believe uh, there is uh, right now rumors of a Fear Street trilogy that's going to kind of pseudo-continue this storyline, if not kind of start something new. But like I said, it was a really thoroughly enjoyable, um, and I, I think it's still well worth your time if you enjoyed this. But the obvious other one, though, too, is one that we're going to be talking about in just a couple weeks as we wrap up the series is definitely always go back to Adam's Family. Um, I, can't, I still love those movies. I can't yeah. stress enough how amazing that that is. Priceless. <laughs> Uh, but I, I would really say it's, it's well, well worth your time if you've never seen it, at least even just in preparation to kind of think along with us as we get ready to gear into that in just a couple of weeks. But yeah, I, I, I thoroughly think this was this was a wonderful week of movies. Yeah, for, absolutely. For uh, gearing up towards Halloween. Um, but with that, um, a big special thanks to our good friends at This Way to the Egress for providing the music for our show. You hear them in the beginning and the end of it, so make sure to head over to www.thiswaytotheegress, that's spelled E-G-R-E-S-S, dot com. Uh, you can make sure to check out their merch store, find out what's going on here, a couple tunes from the band on their website, or support their Patreon, which they've got a lot of fun things for Halloween gearing up, so make sure just to go over there, check out what they have to offer. Show your support. Um, But in addition to that, we'll kick around, see if anybody's got anything special going on. If not, we'll just say our goodbyes and let you know when you can hear us next. So starting with Damon, anything special? Yes, no, maybe? I'm I'm in the process of cooking some uh, two different podcast ideas and working with Ben and seeing how that that plays out. Um, One's going to be a a cultural piece we're looking into uh, about uh, lifestyle choices. Another one's going to be potentially about a comical uh, gaming game show called uh, For One Night Only, where characters where players play a one-off character for a one-off setting. So we'll see how that turns out. Very cool. Liz? I'll likely be involved in any one of those projects, <laughs> as I am married one to that person. One and or both, if likely. <laughs> and they will probably happen in my house. So other than that, not much going on. Uh, as always, this podcast, as well as all their podcasts, potentially Damon's future podcast as well, Indeed. which I'm sure. Hopefully so. Uh, which will be part of the Next Level Podcast Network, thenextlevelnetwork.com, facebook.com slash thenextlevelnetwork. And that's about it. And as for me, you can always find me at the Caffeine Crew Cast of Pods, also part of the Next Level Network, uh, as Ben just put it easily. 
www.thenextlevelnetwork.com and you can find, like I said, Capping Crew there. We'll be gearing up for our Halloween episode very, very soon, so be prepared for that. I believe we're doing this year all on vampires. We've touched upon it in the past, but there's so much to unpack, so I'm looking forward to that discussion. Uh, but yep, yeah, like I said, beyond that though, like I said, always check us out. Uh, like I said, we are in the thick of things now with DC Prime, with DC Prime Time. Shows are probably either right about being back or at the, yeah, the point that you're hearing this, this we yeah. we might be back to we full back, strength or it's just a weekly. week or two away. Yeah. Because again, this is recorded in the future. In advance, you're hearing this. So, but like I said, uh, we're we're prepping for crisis. So, oh man, I can't right around the corner. Uh, but without further ado, we're going to say our goodbyes. But we'll see you again next week for no- another chapter of Still Afraid of the Dark. Bye. Bye. I do.